This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. I'm Elizabeth Taylor. And I'm Alex Shapiro. We are estheticians in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and we work with really incredible, diverse, ambitious, and driven women that are killing it in life. And they deserve to be celebrated. So on this podcast, we're going to be sharing their stories with you. Yeah, and then in between those interview episodes, we'll be doing segments where it's just the two of us, maybe some guest stars. And we'll be chatting about beauty, life, weird shit about being in your 30s, and just learning more about one another because that's what makes us more similar than different. Also, we're a lot of fun and we We have a super multicultural community and we kind of think that you might too. So why not talk all things beauty under one black and Jewish roof? Hell yes. Um, also, we'll be answering listener questions, so make sure to write to us at truebeautybrooklynpodcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, so let's jump into the show. Bye. Hi, guys. Oh, hey. Today is a great episode because it's something that everyone uses already. Mm-hmm. But this person made it 10 times better and made it exciting. Yes. We're talking about shaving today, which sounds so whatevs. Right. It's cool. Promise. Well, it's also June and we've all been inside for the past couple of months. Suddenly the cities are opening up. Supposedly we're all going to be on the streets again and in shorts and mm-hmm. tank tops and the last time i saw any of y'all it was still february time to defer it's time to defer exactly and uh shaving is a part of the cultural zeitgeist that really until recently has been taken as is for the past 100 years i'm sure that you've all heard of dollar shave club and harry's companies that disrupted the shaving industry by lowering the prices of plastic razors for men but have you ever imagined another shaving option for women Like, did you ever think that you might actually enjoy the drudgery of this chore that has, in actuality, been forced onto us as to what's acceptable for a nice girl to look like by these very same male-run razor companies? Karen Young, today's guest, is the founder of company We The People, and she did think about this. As a creative and designer at heart, after spending years in luxury fashion and beauty, she was ready to create a product for women, a safety razor, that told their story and gave them a truly luxurious experience, all while saving the planet. Ah, God, I love this girl. I've mentioned the company with the people on this podcast in the past, and it's because their safety razor is a product that I really, truly love. 
And Alex and I were talking about this before we started recording, and I was trying to put into words what it was that I loved about this razor. And I realized that it's because when I was a little girl, the images that I had of femininity and of womanhood were these beautiful, well-made, well-crafted beauty products, like your grandmother's silver brush, or her hand mirror, or a glass perfume bottle with the cushion pump. So imagine my disappointment to learn that our adulthood is made up of storyless, disposable pieces of plastic. It's so sad. Like, no, bitch, you don't get to have any of that because it's like not real. I guess it was years ago. Exactly. But by the time we became adults, everything was disposable. It was just like these ugly shits. It was disposable and they're charging you an arm and a leg for it, which granted, okay, Harry's and them, they figured that part out, but still it's disposable. And at the end of the day, these are products that truly were made for men. And mm -hmm. look at a case study in whatever business school class, you'll see that Gillette one day just decided we could capture 100% of the market if we started getting women to shave as well. Didn't even think about us except for numbers, right? Mm -hmm. So enter the beautiful rose gold carved handled weighted safety razor by We The People. Guys, I'm not joking when I say this product makes me feel like a lady and I actually look forward to the ritual of shaving. And it's become a ritual because trust me, you can't just quickly shave your legs with this thing like you can a 99 cent Bic or a Dollar Shave Club, whatever, because you will seriously slice yourself. It's so well made. It's incredible. And before I met Karen, I felt all of these emotions regarding what is seemingly a simple razor. After speaking with her man, it's no wonder that the creator behind it is such a brilliant entrepreneur that's blessed with the gift of storytelling that is so vivid, the story becomes a physical product. It's the truth. I hope that you all enjoy this. And I think that you'll see what Elizabeth is saying because as she tells you just about her life, her childhood, you're envisioning it in your head. Yes. I loved that. And you guys are really going to love this story. So enjoy our interview with the founder of We The People, Karen Young. I love to start at the beginning of your journey. Yeah. What I really love to share is the actual journey itself because I think that it's really easy to look at somebody's career and just say like, oh, well, they just got lucky or oh, they're just a genius or everything just worked out for them. And that's so far from the truth. And once you start to learn a little bit more about the background behind people that make the brands that you love and you see that they're, you know, kind of just like you, I think that it makes so much more possible. Yeah. So if you don't mind just saying your name and what you do for a living. I'm Karen Young and I am the founder of We The People. And We The People is a modern skincare and body care brand for women by women. Beautiful. And where did you grow up? So I was actually born in Brooklyn. Interestingly enough, I was born not far from where I live now. Mm -hmm. Grew up in an area of Brooklyn called Flatbush which was a very Caribbean community, which my, my parents immigrated from Guyana, South America, to that area. So I was born in Brooklyn, and then I actually um, went to Guyana when I was just two months old. I lived there until I was about seven years old, mm -hmm. and then I came back here and lived in Flatbush, Brooklyn, with my parents. Do you mind if I ask what made them go do the kind of like the flip-flop back and forth? Yeah, so it's a Caribbean thing. I know a lot of my friends have had the experience as well. And maybe it happened more so when I was younger, but it was this sort of like way of ingraining you into the culture. Mm -hmm. 
feeling who you were, you know, and, and who you are. I think a lot of immigrants in, in, to this country and certainly, um, you know, was the, the case with my parents, um, was this fear that the culture they loved and knew would be sort of swallowed by American culture. American culture is so robust, so grand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> And especially when you're young, I think they were always very concerned that, you know, you're you're impressionable. Right. And that they would sort of lose you. And so you kind of ended up being raised by your grandparents, um, which for me was fantastic. So I was like basically spoiled for the first seven years of my life. <laughs> I love all of that so much. I think that's really cool that your parents cared enough to be like, we want her to know where we came from and what our values really are. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, And then I think the other end of it as well is that as um, immigrants, you know, the system has always been um, sort of a cog to and and very, you know, messy to kind of get through. And so it was like you couldn't have an entire family come at one point. So it was like the younger ones would sort of go out, you Mm -hmm. know, set up the journey for success. And, you know, you wouldn't have a grandmother home to watch a child, for example, and you probably couldn't afford daycare. And so that like really took care of it. We were we were raised by people who loved us in a unique environment where we got to be fully enmeshed in our culture. Right. And then come back here when it was time to take advantage of what America really represented to my parents, which was the opportunity for education. Right. That's so similar to so many black stories, right? Like my parents aren't immigrants, but we, my parents moved from the Bronx to upstate New York for the same reason, so that we could have a great education and just be uh, a little bit more free and more uh, in the environment and everything. Yeah. I've read that you also were raised with your uncles in Guyana. Yeah, it was um, such an incredible experience. Um, I basically was taken care of by three men and my grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> who just had um, such unique ways about their lives. I think I would never have known it then, but I, for the first time, got the early exposure to the ex- the experience of like, you know, what is the sort of gender binary look like? And, you know, how do you sort of like cross certain things? What are right. expectations? Everyone was allowed to be themselves. And my uncles were were very hyper-masculine in, in many ways. But then I also grew up watching them take incredible care of their skin. Mm-hmm. Um, they were the first people that I ever saw use a safety razor. I remember the sound and the smell of the shaving cream and the sound of the razor clicking against the, the sink. As I just they got the chills. <laughs> <laughs> And I would like always, you know, like run to the back of the house and like, you know, peer at them while they were, you know, shaving. And it was just such an incredible ritual. And I was just like, what are they doing? And one of my uncles, who I was particularly close to, he refused to wear um, men's fragrance. He was just like, no, like Chanel number five. That's what I'm wearing. And all the ladies chased after him. Of course. (laughs) Of course, they're just like, ooh, what is that? Can I wear it too? (laughs) Is that very normal of Guyanese men to be very into beauty rituals? Um, I don't think it was normal. No, I think. (laughs) I'm like, now that I think back on it, and I don't know that to be the case for any other man in my family, really. But for some reason, my, my grandmother's sons, like, really, you know, were into it. And I still don't wear makeup because I never saw my mother wear makeup. Like she didn't own a stitch of foundation. She owned uh, lipstick 
and fragrance. Mm -hmm. I didn't see her use anything else. And so, yeah, it was this really interesting place where it was kind of bare bones in a sense. Like they didn't work with a, a lot, but mm -hmm. they were very careful about their skin and, and really appreciative and took good care of themselves. Totally. And then what was your grandmother like with her beauty regimen and her beauty routine? Yeah, I would say she was similar to um, my mom. So I guess that's where my mother got it from, where it was just very, very minimal. Mm -hmm. I remember she had a silver um, mirror tray on the dresser mm -hmm. and it contained um, a powder and, you know, like a brush and so on, but just like the sort of, you know, nighttime accoutrements or whatever that, that she would use and fragrance. So my whole family was into fragrance. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she, she didn't do quite a lot either. I didn't wear blush until I was like, well into my late 20s early 30s wow. yeah it was one of my friends was like you know you could do with blush and I was just like what's that <laughs> <laughs> you're like for why I'm I'm just having yeah. time <laughs> but you know I really love that your your family like the men and the women they just really took pride in their their bodies as a whole it seems and didn't I mean you could maybe go so far as to say like didn't mess with it in terms of putting on makeup in terms of altering yeah. anything they, they just cared for it. yeah exactly they just yeah. really cared for it for what they had which is incredible and also kind of i think where our culture in terms of skincare and beauty is headed towards right now yeah okay so you were in guyana until you were seven and then you moved back to brooklyn yep and then i moved back to brooklyn and i've pretty much been here ever since a brief stop in the bronx for college i went to fordham university and got a Bachelor of Science in Psychology. Mm -hmm. And then I moved into the fashion industry. I've always had a creative bent. And so I think New York just really was the place where I could I could just really explore that. Mm -hmm. What I love about New York is that no one sort of looks at you weird for being. Totally. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. like you can find any corner of New York to blend into. Yes. Yeah, and coming out of college, actually even during college, I you know, I know you guys know this experience as well of just experimenting when you're in your late teens and twenties and so on. So I shaved my head and you know, I started wearing like the big parachute skirts. <laughs> <laughs> I went through my Erica Badu phase. Yes. You always find a pocket in which to belong to mm -hmm. um, in New York. And so you get to just like soak in these experiences throughout your life. And, yes. Yeah, New York fit me. I don't know if it still fits me, but it fit me then. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I mean, I, I always say that New York, I love New York, and it's the only place I ever wanted to live, and it's the only place I can really imagine myself living, but I'm in the same situation as you now. You're kind of like, well, your art would be nice, especially because we can't really go outside. So yeah. there's that. And, you know, a tree costs a million dollars, so there's that also. Yeah. But um, I love, I always thought that New York is made up of just a bunch of weirdos that didn't fit in wherever they came from and so they came here to find their people yeah yeah and it's so cool and oh girl like just the inspiration that you get just from walking down the street like i have so many memories of such stunning outfits which is such a funny thing to say but just like these incredible just like how did you think of that and girl you're fucking killing it like can i have some and yeah. oh, man beautiful really beautiful yeah, I, I remember in Soho, like at, in college, I would um, take the train down from the Bronx to Soho. And there was a man, um, this was like before Soho became like 
the home of Prada, <laughs> you know? Yeah, the, the artist lofts and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there was a guy on the street corner who used to take a bar of soap and he would just stay there all day carving the most beautiful designs mm. into a bar of soap. And people would just gather around him. And I would go at least a couple of times a week. And he would just, like, take that moment to tell me, like, about life. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, I love this city. Street profits. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so you worked in fashion, you mentioned, right? How long did you work in fashion? And what did you, what were you doing in that? Yeah, so I was an account executive, um, which basically means that I was responsible for growing the wholesale channel of the businesses. So I started off with an internship right out of school um, with Narciso Rodriguez, Mm. and then they were like, we absolutely love you, but we don't have any roles opening up. Well, they were like, we have something opening up in PR, they were like, were you, are you interested in that? And I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> this is like, PR just, every time I went down, there was a tiny office with like two women in there who were absolutely fantastic, but they were so high strung. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I am an introvert. Like, this is going to be bad. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. PR, it seems a little scary. I think of high strung people <laughs> when I think of PR. Yeah, I was just like, I think this would be really exhausting and I would probably cry in the bathroom every day. So I'm, <laughs> I'm really going to acknowledge my strengths and weaknesses and know that that's not for me, even though I need a job. And then they, they said, you know, but Dolce Gabbana is hiring and perhaps you, you know, would be interested in going over there as an account executive. It was down the street. And again, like, wow, what, what experiences to be a part of in New York. So on, I think it was 55th street, there was a block of buildings around the corner from like the Saks and Bergdorf's and so on, you know, just like the glitz of, of Fifth Avenue in New York. There was a block of buildings and Narciso was um, down in, they called them houses. And so Narciso had an entire townhouse and there were these like brands that like had their own little townhouses. And Dolce Gabbana was one of, in one of like the high rises, like right at the corner. Yes. Walk past and it's just completely unassuming. You would think maybe someone lived in there or whatever, but you go into the, like this beautiful townhouse and like mm-hmm. the most, Amazing clothes or, oh, yes. you know, so you have access to the fashion closet. And I was just like, I have arrived. Yes, <laughs> yes. I remember being a fashion intern for uh, Rodarte. Well, at the time it was um, Black Frame. They just closed yeah. actually recently. But I was just like, you know, a 19-year-old girl from the Catskills. And it was my first time like seeing Christian Louboutin shoes in person. And I just remember like exactly what you're saying, just like, the fabrics and just being in fashion, being in fashion and in New York especially, and then when you're in that luxury of it, it's really special and makes you kind of feel special to be a part of it. Yeah, it's an exposure, you know, that like, I just saw things that I'd never had before and then, or or saw before. Mm -hmm. These little pieces of New York, like I was saying earlier, that open up to you based on, you know, where you sort of injected yourself, where you've had the nerve to go, especially as like a, you know, a little black girl from the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I started there and I started out as a junior account executive and just sort of worked my way up. Um, I spent about 10 years in fashion in general and just moved with the flow of things. So Mm. the sort of like super high end, um, incredibly well cut pieces that you would find at the D&Gs and so on of the world. Um, Eventually, we started moving into, as a culture, the more... um, 
like the gene thing, you right. know, seven genes and, you know, all like of the early aughts. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, um, Ed Hardy's and so on of the right. world popped up and really took over LA culture. And- mm-hmm. Such a shame. Such a shame. That was a, that was a bad time in fashion. I know. Oh my gosh. Remember the trucker hats? Yes. Like, oh, oh my god. god. What was that brand? Um, Von Dutch. Von Dutch. Which was just Ed Hardy, right? It was a, it was yeah. Ed Hardy's additional. Yeah. Well, I mean, as a business, it was genius on his line. He was just like, let's oh. just do this and call it something else. Nobody will know. People and we'll have a hundred percent of it. the market. Gosh. But a friend of mine had one of those hats. I must have been like fourteen, and. I, my dad would never spend money like that on anything for <laughs> like a teenager. And I was so jealous, jealous of that. And her eyebrows that were so thin looking back, I'm like, why was I jealous oh, of right? this girl? Terrible. With her Vonda check. The Nike check. Yeah. So yeah. Bad. I, I, the I wore the check. check to it. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God, they need to change this. So just don't do it. I was Sorry. Like, <laughs> that took me a second to realize what you meant the Nike check. That was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, God. It's so much better than, like, the sperm brows. I like that description better. Yeah. I remember my grandmother saying to me when I was young, because I had these brows that took up, like, my whole face, and she was like, whatever you do, don't touch your eyebrows. Yes. And I had no idea. I had no idea. So I spent four years with the Nike, like, don't do it, Jack. Yeah. Yep. And they never grew back the same. Do you know what's hilarious about eyebrows? We, we're eyebrow specialists. And so we are. We often tell women, you're not alone in this. Every mom or grandmother tells their daughter or granddaughter, don't touch your eyebrows. Yeah. 2% listen. <laughs> yeah. That's the information we've gathered. <laughs> That's it. The rest of us are just like, why? Why? <laughs> No one actually tells you they don't go back. So if I ever have a kid, that's the or daughter. That's the first thing I'm gonna be. Well, like, you gotta take away the right. tweezers. That's the thing because you can tell her all up yeah. and down. As you know, you gotta lock not the cabinets. You gotta hide the tweezers. In the home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what is it about them that we feel the need to like take them off of our faces? Oh girl, I've got a whole theory. Yeah. Never return the same. Yeah. Okay. So you're working out D&G, which actually I heard that though, I was just listening to um, a Second Life last night and yeah. a, I forgot who the guest was. She worked for D&G and she said the guys were so much fun and it was such a great company to work for and they're super loyal and they have like day one people there. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a great company to work wow. for. Yeah. They definitely did have a lot of like really loyal people. It's going to be so interesting to see how fashion changes mm-hmm. after all of this. But um, yeah, it was a really fantastic company to work for. And even within the sort of US department, oh my God, they were so, so, so much fun. I mean, the sayings I learned in Italian, I can't. <laughs> I was just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, they were so intense, but also they didn't take everything seriously you know Mm -hmm. um so there was just this really incredible way of like number one like don't even try to ask anything you know when they're either closed or sort of like done for the day and and it's like we had to sort of take that on as new yorkers and like everyone would be like cussing in the background like we don't know if that skirt is arriving in time for our birthday meeting but they're closed and what can you fucking do (laughs) right oh that's so great that's i mean in terms of leadership that's really great to to show your employees, like, look, I mean, fashion takes itself very, very seriously, but it's, like, not that serious at the end of the day. So yeah. it's it's really nice to see somebody at the top, like, at the top of the fashion industry saying, like, no, no, it's 6 o'clock. 
go home. Yeah. We can pick this up tomorrow. We'll talk about tall. It's pro it's fine. It'll still be there tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Okay. So was that the last place that you worked in fashion? Because I, I think that before you started your company, you worked for Estee Lauder. Yeah. Yeah. So I moved, I transitioned out of the, the sort of Italian guard and, and moved into the denim world. I sold a very, very expensive brand of jeans called Evasu straight out of um, Japan that were beautifully made. Um, but we were definitely at the top of the market. Like they were like, oh no, if, if everyone's paying 300, ours cost 700. Very and well. I was fine to see that like we would sell out of like $700 jeans like over the weekend. And then I actually started um, another company right around the time of the, the, the recession, mm -hmm. actually. Um, just because fashion really, really took a hit. And it just changed. And I was just like, I have no idea where it's going to go. But stores were closing. And um, I think fashion was trying to find its feet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so that industry went through like one of its more, more drastic changes. All of that, of course, eventually evolved over the next 10 years into e-commerce as we know it. It was a home decor company. Ooh. And I basically was like, you know... Fashion has such incredible colors and experiments and, you know, patterns and so on. And it was just like really much more free than mm -hmm. I thought home was at the time. Um, and so I wanted to bring that to, to home. And we were very successful, but it was a small company that didn't have a, a lot of room to scale. Mm -hmm. And then the person who hired me at Estee Lauder, actually, my executive director, as she ended up being, she saw my work in Henry Bendel at the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. I'd have like, an entire installation of pillows. And uh, we had also been featured in like hundreds of magazine articles. What was the name of your company? It was called Hammocks and High Tea. I think I know this line. You Did you just, no, you said you didn't just do pillows. You did the entire interiors. But were you known for your pillows? We did more of like the soft goods. So yeah. uh, pillows. And then we also became known for dot kits, like really beautiful little dot kits that I sort of adopted from the things that I saw my uncles um, carrying all of their goods in. What's a dot kit? A dot kit is, um, it's basically a makeup bag, but oh. it's more like men carry oh where yes more square and has like a lot of room in it right 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 man your yeah. uncles i know <laughs> <laughs> they're fab killing it at life <laughs> um so that's so interesting i have to look up your company because i'm pretty sure that i was obsessed with this company for a little not obsessed enough that i would remember the name <laughs> <laughs> I also gave it like the longest name ever in, in history, which I seem to have a thing for, for doing. So Yeah, it's your thing. We had quite a bit of um, success. We were on uh, a number of blogs, on the Today Show, a number of magazines. and But even that industry itself like went through some changes. And so the woman who hired me at Estee Lauder was like, I saw your stuff in Bendel's and I just absolutely love the fact that you as a sole entrepreneur you know, like we're responsible for this, this, all this opportunity, you know, mm -hmm. created for the company in, in terms of distribution and press and such. And she managed the packaging design um, division of Estee Lauder. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I would love for you to come in and manage that as like our in-house studio. Oh, cool. Wow. And so um, just to rewind a little bit, when you were with your first company, yeah. how did you figure out everything? How did you no um, design, marketing, PR. I mean, obviously, listening to your story, you picked up a little bit of this along the way, but I just know that it takes a very special person to say, well, I can just do that. 
and then to execute it very well <laughs> to get to the <laughs> to point. be in the window of Bendel exactly yes oh yeah thank you like I said I always had a creative eye I actually went into fashion because I thought I was going to be a designer and I, I wanted to be a designer but when I got into fashion what I found um, and this is in no way to discredit the, the designers but um, the real work of, of building any company is really in the background. What, what I was doing as an account executive, um, which was going out there every single day and pushing it, you know, I was mm -hmm. like, you know, filling a trunk with clothing of like the most beautiful, like, you know, high end samples straight from Italy and taking them to boutiques in my territory mm -hmm. and, you know, learning about their end customer, learning about what mattered to them, learning about what worked for them, forming these relationships and building a long lasting relationship with those retailers. It kind of sounds like a high end hustle. It is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh my god, I'm, I'm like a the most well dressed carpet bagger ever. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I may be shilling clothes, but I look fantastic. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> another thing with fashion. I think, especially like in New York, when you see uh, the couriers with the bags from you know all these incredible designers, and it's just like. I don't know when it's taken out of its element. It's like, yeah, you're you're really well dressed carpet bagger, just like going from place to place on this subway with like three different bags for you know Saks yeah. and Wendell and D and G. It's so funny. Um, yeah. But also, kudos to you for I mean, I guess like seeing the value and believing in yourself and just being like, I can do this. I've done this, and I can just do it for myself. Yeah, and and it's really the sales that that moves the engine. You know, mm -hmm. her stuff is wonderful. Um, and it pulls and it weaves the entire story together. But I was responsible for millions, tens of millions, you know, a season mm -hmm. sales to, you know, the Bergdorfs and Sats and at the time Barneys and so on of the world. And so I was just like, you know, it's it's nice to have that, but I I felt like I really needed to understand a little bit more of the engine room, and that's the sales, the marketing, uh, the storytelling. Mm -hmm. But thankfully, the creative aspect came naturally, and the I have a very curious nature, so that came naturally. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, where else? What else can I do? Where else can I go? Yes. Yeah. But more than anything, I wasn't afraid of showing up. And I think, you know, what a lot of entrepreneurs um, can be afraid of is the no. Mm -hmm. And sales will teach you that. In a, like you walk in, you know, a door, like pulling, <laughs> pulling a suitcase of fancy ass clothes behind you. And you're like, I've arrived. I'm here. Right. And they're like, thanks. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> or you're like cold calling people all day. Mm -hmm. And they're like, no, I don't want to hear from you. I'm not interested. Um, so you start to realize that the no's don't break you. And mm -hmm. I think that could be it. And then I was just like, okay, I can just keep going. Yeah, totally. Wow. That's, uh, I'm learning a lot. Learning tons. When, and it's just, it's incredible because, I mean, it's easy to take anything personally, right? Or just give up. And that's one of the things I hear consistently over and over and over again from entrepreneurs, big and small, is just keep going. Every no is a not right now or it's not for me. It's not you're awful. It's like, <laughs> you know, there's just one dude, especially in New York City, you know, there's about 9 million more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Keep going. Exactly. Okay, so from your company, now you're working at Estee Lauder and you're doing the packaging design, 
which is yeah. really cool. And so how long were you there with that company? I was there about four years. Um, and actually, my role there was to manage all of the artists. Oh. Yeah. And so I had to have some understanding of it. But I'll, I'll never forget, I kind of, um, they had quite an intense process to get into Estee Lauder. And so I had like four um, interviews. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget the first one, my boss is like, listen, I'm really into her. I admire everything that she's done, but she doesn't have like the technical expertise that we would normally be looking for here, which is like, you know, do I know Illustrator and Adobe and so on? And these are things that I'd like played around with a little bit in right. design. I knew enough to be like, this is not my strength. Let me hire people yes. to help me out with this. And I sat there in a room across the table from them and they were like, do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know this print? Do you know that? And I was just like, mm -hmm. no, but I will learn it. I will, yes. you know what I mean? I don't think there is anything that I feel like I can't learn. Yes. Um, what a great answer. Who doesn't want to hire that person? Because yeah. that's life is consistently learning and relearning. If somebody just said, no, that's it. It's like, even if they said yes and that's it, like that's such a perfect answer is I'll learn it. Yeah. It's so perfect. Yeah. yeah. It's great. And it works for you, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so it ended up working out. Um, and I, I, I do think though my boss ended up like pushing a little bit and she's like, listen, these are the things that I actually think are more important. And what she was looking for was less someone who knew of a specific program and who knew how to do uh, low-key artwork and more someone who um, knew how to manage all of these working components, mm -hmm. you know, and as things come down the pipeline and as we get towards the holiday stuff, for example, which we're doing in like June, July, um, for the next year mm -hmm. that has put into the pipeline and put into production so that we can do everything on time. Someone who can manage that and someone who can manage the attitudes, mm -hmm. <laughs> lack of a word, mm -hmm. um, all of the departments that wanted things done um, yesterday. And so I ended up managing, um, gosh, anywhere from like 15 to, to 25 artists, depending on Bucks and, and what we needed when. That's a lot of personalities and a lot of yeah. emotions. Oh, yeah. I know artists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and sort of battling like different departments and trying to keep my artists okay um, and trying to like, you know, put up a little bit of a protection when other people were breathing down on that. It was, it was, I, I really think um, it sort of highlighted something for me that I didn't even see in fashion. I was just like, yo, beauty is intense. Like, no, one, no one says this. Nobody. You're the first I've ever heard say this. No. Oh my God. Do not fall for anything else. People are like, oh yeah, no mascara. No way. Yeah. It is intense. Well, it has to be to continually for 150 years remaking the same products. Yeah. It's got to be pretty intense. Right. How many different ways can you make a mascara in 150 years every season? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And find out a way to market it against, you know, 500 mascaras yes. on the market as well. Yes. So. Yeah, wow. Sounds stressful. Sounds very stressful. It's such a beautiful industry <laughs> and it's just like, oh, God, getting excited. Right? Like, the mascaras are killing me this week. <laughs> I was like, I know why you guys make anti-aging stuff. Yeah. <laughs> this is like stressful as hell. Totally. <laughs> So um, when did you, I imagine it's around this time that your entrepreneurial spirit started to sort of like knock on 
maybe the back of your head a little bit and be like, hey girl, can you take us sort of through that journey? Like your, the journey to um, creating the most incredible razor in the world, in my opinion, <laughs> for women. <laughs> yeah, so it's so funny. The razor is one of those things where if I look back on how difficult the journey has been, I would never have, it's possible that I would never have done it. It's truly an is bliss story. Um, so here I am um, at Estee Lauder and truly it was a spring day. It was uh, over the weekend, spring day. I'd been at Estee Lauder for a couple of years and my girlfriends and I, like two of my closest girlfriends, kind of like, you know, hop on text and we're like, oh my God, beautiful day. Yes. Let's go outside and like, let's get mani-pedis and let's do brunch and let's just like hang out and soak up the sun. And it was like one of the first beautiful days. And so I was still like covered in my winter fur. You know? yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, take a deep breath. This is gonna be a process. Let's block off a couple hours before this. <laughs> and I, I reached for the razor that I had normally had in my shower, I think like a pink, you know, something or another from Dwayne Reed. I used it and didn't really think twice about it, but I kind of was just used to experiencing really bad razor burn um, and ingrown hairs and so on at that point. And I was just like, okay, this is just the cost of shaving. And um, I went and, you know, we sort of sat down and rolled up our pant legs um, on the basin to get started on the pedicure. And I had a big, angry swat across my left um, calf and my friend, looks over and she's just like, what happened to your skin? And I was just like, oh, whatever, I just shaved. It'll go away, I guess, in a couple of days, whatever. And she just started talking about how, like, she is plagued with ingrown hairs and so on. And I was just like, you know, I wonder. And the next day when I went to work, I just started, like, talking to my friends at work. And I was just like, do you hate shaving? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like a, one of those yes. commercials. <laughs> roll up to someone's cubicle and like, do you hate shaving? Yes. And, you know, even if they, they weren't, even if they didn't have as, you know, large or aggressive of a response as, as I did, everyone was like, no, but I, I hate it. It's just like a terrible experience. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking around and I'm like, you know, I could go down to the company store and get like multitudes of mascaras and face creams and like all of this stuff. But here I am sort of stuck with this experience of a razor because no one has thought to reimagine it for women. Mm -hmm. At the time, um, Dollar Shave Club and Harry's were sort of like going head to head. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the narrative there was like, basically a bunch of white men wanted to take a piece out of the massive razor industry and had raised like hundreds of millions of dollars with which to do so. Wow, Jesus. And I was like, well, shit, I can do that. <laughs> Ignorance is absolute bliss. Yes. And so I started doing some research. And the first thing I started thinking about, I always think about the experience first. And I think that's one of the blessings of coming from uh, a prestige brand like Estee Lauder, is that you, you have to solve a customer for the consumer. You can't just throw out whatever you, you have, mm -hmm. you know? And having been to like the Estee Lauder library and I was really inspired by how Estee Lauder herself. The Estee Lauder library? 
Yeah, we what? like within the company, we have an archives. Oh, that sounds incredible. Wow. Though. And there's like from the very first cream that she made all the way up, the first advertisement, like the story yes. of her. So insane. I have to say in esthetician school, I don't know if your school did this, but they showed us a video about Estee Lauder because that's how amazing she was, I guess. And just the impact she had on the beauty industry. Mm-hmm. That it was like one good. of the first things they showed us. Yeah. Here is this like kind of mini movie about Estee Lauder. It was a cartoon, I think. Oh my god, it was a little strange. But no, but I love that there's a whole. Uh, I had no li- idea. But a library. Know? That's incredible. Yeah, it makes sense. There's so much history. Yeah, and it's so funny. My brand director, um, she was one of my artists at Estee Lauder. Mm. I will never forget. Like as we sort of moved through our products and the look of products, and as we started to move, like basically from my kitchen table <laughs> to you know production and scaling and and being able to afford to do certain things with the brand, she was like, Karen, you have to keep keep everything, keep at least one of everything that we've done. And I'm like, whatever, that's old news. And she's like, no, because these are your archives. Yes. Mm. One day someone's going to look back on these, or you're going to want to look back on these. Yes. I love that. That's beautiful. And you're you're building your legacy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're documenting it. Your living is building your legacy, but you're documenting your legacy, which is normally... I mean, it's normally reserved, I guess, if you write a journal, right? That's somebody documenting their mm-hmm. legacy. But, like, it's normally reserved for, like, the New York Times, right? Like, that's how generally you look back in history and everything. Unless you're Estee Lauder, unless you're Karen Young, then you just do your own. Which <laughs> is, it's genius, and I love it. And also maybe, and I don't want to speak for you, but I would imagine that it gives you a little bit more sense of your, not purpose, but the, the bigger picture of what you're trying to build. Because you're documenting it, maybe? No? I would maybe think that. Yeah. I think that's what um, Dana is, is my brand director's name. I think that's what she was, she was sort of able to hold on to that and visualize that more than I could. As an outsider looking in, it's probably easier. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, old news, we're moving forward. I don't care. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) You're like, what are you talking to me about right now? Like, uh, no, get out of here. Thanks so much. (laughs) Go do that over there. And then one day you just, she shows up with this huge, like, just like archive yeah. manual. I did it. I'm like, we don't have time for no archive. <laughs> I sort of like, you know, was able to see that um, transition. And I think for me, just, you know, women like Estee Lauder, Lisa Price, you know, from Carol's Daughter, mm-hmm. like just the fact that like, even Estee Lauder had the story of starting this in her kitchen, yep. like at her table mm-hmm. and storing in the fridge because they would separate or whatever. Yeah. I rooted it in research and in efficacy and I kind of started there and I was just like, if I'm going to do this, like I can't build, you know, your like $9 razor or whatever because it wasn't working for me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, there has to be a group of women that find this same experience as, as mm-hmm. and so I started reaching out and um, trying to learn more about those women. And while I was doing that, I was um, doing the research on the industry itself and learning about razors. And I, there was no way I could have built a $9 razor if I had tried right. anyway, because it's interesting that, that that is the least accessible because it's the most crowded. And so owned by very often these larger um, manufacturers and there are so few left in the world and they're all grappling over the same share of the market. Mm. And there was just no way to get in without hundreds of, of millions. 
But I kept poking my nose in, and I found a way. <laughs> right. Uh, and two is when you see these dudes doing it, like, Alex and I keep talking about this, like, the millennials that are building these incredible businesses, but, like, you know, like, Squarespace and Shopify, just building these awesome companies that make everything easier for us because, and they get it because they are us. And so for you, because I think this all the time, you're just like, these two white dudes aren't that much older than I am. They certainly aren't any smarter than I am. What do they know that I don't? Like, let's figure this out. Because they just did this right. last year. So, like, <laughs> good for you, yeah. girl. And trust me, you know, the stories of, like, oh, my gosh, they have more access than me. They went to Wharton. They did this. They did that. You know, they had access to investors and capital and, and all of that. Those stories definitely hunted me down. But I'm, I'm an immigrant at heart. <laughs> I was just like, I will figure this shit out. Yeah. And I, I think I always have to remember to give credit to the women I encountered on my journey. Mm -hmm. So not only did women become customers, but they're the ones who picked up the phone on the other end. Mm. Even if they were secretary at the manufacturing place, the second they heard my voice and or the second I sent an email saying, I want to change the access that women have to better shaving tools, they were like, yeah, we're going to figure this out yeah. for you. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. They're probably like, finally. <laughs> Yeah. We've been talking about this for years. We've been waiting for you, girl. <laughs> that's so funny because that's like almost exactly what, um, when I finally found our German manufacturer, that is what she said. She's like, first of all, we have been shaving like this forever. I don't understand why you American women put yourself through the pain yeah. that you do with those cheap razors. Yeah. Wow. But she's like, yeah, so how can we help? Yes. Um, yeah. All right. So tell us how so did cool. they help? <laughs> Take us on the journey. Um, well, yeah, so they allowed, so this was like 2015 was sort of like the start of everything. And I was just like, I'm just going to like hang out and, and be really methodical about about this and, and learn if there's actually an industry there. And, you know, there's a reason why people are selling the $9 stuff and there's a particular story that they're telling, uh, but that's not the story that I'm telling. And so how do I uncover what that is and how do I uncover who the customer is on the other end and what they really need and what they care about. And I just really got close to our audience and I, you know, polled them and talked to them on Instagram and like just got an understanding of what they were looking for. Mm -hmm. And then I took as much um, data, both, you know, qualitative and quantitative back to an engineer that I found. And I was like, literally like on YouTube, like watching videos of like how the machinery that like is used to make razor handles, like how that works, how does like the knurling pattern and all of that works. And I whipped out a sheet of paper and I started doing some sketches and then I asked a few friends and one person hooked me up with an engineer and he happened to have this type of machine um, to do the patterning. And he's like, yeah, he's like, okay, I'll help you with that. And we just like started building a razor from scratch. Yes. And then I was able to take that to Germany and they have had um, expertise with this for over a hundred years. And they were like, yeah, this is what we do. So we'll help you. And what we ended up making was the first razor that was, not only was the handle longer and a little bit more weighted to um, the experience of like reaching for your legs and reaching for your underarms and so on, but it also had, it is the only razor on the market with a very, very minimal blade exposure. Mm -hmm. And so if you were looking at a men's safety razor 
often they have a little bit of a wider gap where the blade sort of sits between the two pieces of the head. This one has a very, very small gap and very, very minimal blade exposure. And that's just because it's, it's just designed to be gentler on your skin. Mm -hmm. And so they helped us make that. And I was just like, okay, let's do this. (laughs) I have no idea where this is going to go. And it took off. And it's, it just has been an incredible journey um, since then, including brand name changes and, you know, hiring my first employee and, and where we are today, diving into more body care stuff. When was this? When did you start working on this? So I started working on it. The The first idea and everything was like, like spring 2015. And then I spent a couple of years um, researching. Oh, wow. And in 2017 um, was when I found the engineer and we started working on the, the prints, the weight, the angle, the knurling, the whole thing. Um, and then I found the, I had already found the German manufacturer and I was just waiting till I had everything to go back to them. And then for several months, they helped me with their engineers with the entire process. And we launched around November of 2017. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Elizabeth, I think the first day that yeah, I've been telling you about this razor. <laughs> Might have been when I came for like kind of my interview with you. We talked about this <laughs> because do you know what? I'll admit it. Like I am in the beauty industry, and I love you know to feel good and to feel feminine and everything. But shaving is just like another thing to do. Do you know? When I was yeah. younger, I think I enjoyed it just because it's like, oh my god, I'm like I'm a woman now, and then you know, it's just one more thing to do. So I just like hate it. And it was when I got your razor that I was just. I, don't, I hate to. I don't even know why I hate to say. It. I feel like a lady. I feel like a goddamn oh, like that's lady. How, that's exactly how. She, <laughs> it's true. It's like it's this beautiful right. rose gold, and it's weighted. It has this weight to it, and like I put my leg up on the sink. Do you know? I just feel like yeah. so uh, feminine when I'm shaving my legs and underarms, which is like. <laughs> As we get older, and this is why I maybe spend a little more on like the body wash I use because I want the experience. Mm-hmm. I guess it's just like, God, I've used this shit so many times. Let me make it a little more special. And so yeah. that's part of why the razors. Yes, it's true. really amazing. It's yeah. like, well, I have to do this. I'm a hairy Jewish girl. And I think I need this weighted razor. We've got a lot of you. <laughs> I'm sure. You're welcome. <laughs> um, yes. So your company has been just killing it for the last three years. So you already had sort of your core clientele because you were smart enough to begin gathering these girls before you even launched the product. So yeah. from there, how did you? How did you build? How did you expand? Because you're direct to consumer. 
Are you yeah. in any any stores right now? Or you have always been direct to consumer. We've pretty much always been direct to consumer. We actually have, and I'm very grateful. We have a number of stores lined up waiting to carry the brand. It's just two different systems, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, selling wholesale and direct to consumer. And and quite often we can barely keep up with inventory and direct to consumer. So wow. that's awesome. Do you have any competitors in your space? So, I mean, I guess, you know, technically you could say that the Harry's Dollar Shave Club and Billy's of the world, just within the, the shaving space, are definitely um, competitors. Mm, yeah. Billy, I guess, doesn't realize how much people hate plastic, so. <laughs> well, that was the other question that I was going to ask you, is that your razor is, I think, with tax and shipping, and tell me if I'm wrong, is about $75. And so it took yes. me a while to pull the trigger because I was like, yeah. $75 razor. And then I saw your picture and I was like, oh my God, a sister. All right, all right, girl, you get my $75. Let's see what you got. And I like, totally fell in love with it. But it took a while. It took me a while to pull the trigger because it took a little bit to get your mind, to change your mindset, right? Why would I spend $75 yeah. on this when I can get a $9 razor when the reality is that you spend it once. I've had my razor for now two or three years, I think. You buy the yeah. $10 refill packs. It stays gorgeous. And you're, it, just the sustainability aspect of it alone, I was reading the numbers from your website, I think. What's the number of, of $2 billion? $2 billion plastic razors per year. Is that the world? Or just the U.S.? I think that's just calculated in the, the U.S. What? So imagine that's so scary. what the world. Wow. That's reason yeah. enough. And also... Two billion God. people. Two B. Two B. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> I know. Someone um, commented the other day. I, we had a customer um, do a post. And I think someone commented. And they, they wrote out two billion. Like two comma zero. You know, however many zeros. Right. I can't remember. <laughs> 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 real big. Real big number. And it was just insane to to see it, mm -hmm. and yeah, it was just really insane to um, to see it. And and that as well has been a movement that um, in the last few years has added a bit of fuel to mm -hmm. to the fire. Mm -hmm. um, our conversation largely has always been about skincare, mm -hmm. and that's actually the way I got around the the price point. Um, you know, I I started talking about it and positioning it as you know, if you purchased a, you know, a Yves Saint Laurent uh, mascara or something, or, you know, um, a, a Le Labo perfume or, you know what I mean? Like there's a spectrum that exists within um, beauty. And what's interesting is that I kind of often find that the sort of mass price brands, I, there's, there's a, certainly a conversation happening more about like, how do we make beauty um, truly accessible? Um, but I, I find often that the, the mass price brands, like you will find at some point that there's some level of compromise mm -hmm. somewhere in there. And so I just really started speaking to skincare and I started speaking to the compromise that we, we won't make, mm -hmm. um, in order to, to make our products. Uh, there are, um, some smaller companies that have come up and, uh, if, if you go online and search safety razor, you'll, you'll find that there's like a ton of. There's anything from like twenty dollars to hours, which is on the obviously on the higher end of the, on the end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And if you have no idea, you just be like, free market. I can go pay twenty dollars for right. it. Right. So we try to um, hone in on the fact that it's not coming out of a mill in a metal manufacturer, mm -hmm. which is quite different. It's it's actually made piece by piece by uh, individual 
man who is in charge of it. And in our factory, which is tiny, it's about 14 people. There's a guy who is in charge of the CNC milling. And there's a guy who is in charge of honing and finishing each, the head of each razor. Um, There's a guy who puts it through the laser machine. Mm. There's a woman who literally there's human hair that they take in strands and they like cut it in the middle to test the sharpness wow. of the razor. This is, it's, and like, then it gets, it's a couturier. It's, like, it's like a couturier, yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And then it gets to the end. Even even our paper um, for every box is made in Germany, printed by a small manufacturer, folded the entire process mm-hmm. and, and sent to us. So um, I love that aspect of it. Yes. And, and sometimes it can be so hard to communicate it all and be like, no, 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 no. I, like, I want to take you with me right. and show you. So when we open back up, I think I will actually do that. Yes. Um, when everything again, I, uh, we had a smaller audience the first time I did that, but now I'd, I'd like to take our customers with us to the factory next time. For sure. I think, uh, there's also, I mean, it's kind of like you were saying, there's just levels of appreciation right and there's also just levels of uh products and of quality and you're absolutely right in that there's so many subcategories of luxury except for in this category there nobody ever thought that you need a really beautiful razor like you have you know the stones that you roll up like think of all the different products that people will make and sell for much more than 75 dollars right yeah face mask you're like what's a it's it's all the same material like how can a face mask cost this much right. and also yeah. it's, you're making art really do you know it's I, I kind of liken it to somebody when they you know look at a jackson pollock and they're like oh my kid could do that it's like all right well you're not really understanding <laughs> like you're not really <laughs> understanding like, the whole everything that's behind this and it kind of that's yeah. i would imagine i mean that's who you are you're an artist you're making like beautiful art yes. for us also life-changing for people who have i mean there have been times in my life where i shaved with a bad razor I just like didn't do it quite right or you didn't have any shaving cream so I used some whatever soap and you're like embarrassed or like I don't know there have been times especially when I was younger teenager mm-hmm. 100% that could have made me cry like I'm not going to the beach I have razor burn yeah. yeah and really that is what we uncovered and that's why we we began extending more into body care now I'm curious and I'm an inspector, so I like to go in and be like, okay, now I see that's covered, I see that's covered, and sure, we can, we can, you know, surprise and delight our customers with like a versioning of the same thing, but how can I really find something, just a really unique way to present something that is a wonderful experience attached to a sort of more efficacious event, something that is about your skin, uh, but something that's also an emotional trigger. Mm-hmm. And what I what I couldn't say on behalf of our, our customers, I had to let them say for themselves, was exactly what you just said, which is, you know, we had people say, I, I haven't worn shorts in years until I got this razor. I was ashamed to go to the beach until I got this razor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really the experience that we wanted to hone in and, and deliver on. Mm-hmm. And saving the planet. Yes. Yeah. Just a little added bonus. Well, and you know, it's it's interesting. I need to look up this fact, but I'm pretty positive that, I mean, this is a capitalist society, right? And so, so much of what we know is consumerism and we don't even realize it. Like yeah. the whole rest of the world, for women, they wax. Like they don't really necessarily shave, especially in South America, right? And yeah. Gillette kind of just realized, well, we could 
you know, get 100% of the population instead of 50% if we just get everybody shaving. And yeah. I'm pretty sure that was a case study that I did in college, and I hope that I'm not making this up. But it just, it was never from the point of view of what do women need? What is it besides just removing their body hair, which we're telling them to do, so whatever. Yeah. What is it that they need? Um, and yeah. I love, you know, without even knowing all of this, just like my emotional reaction to your products like I should have known of course all of this thought goes into it because you don't pick up a razor and tell everybody that you know about it oh my god we were at the event for we fur. The fur event I was like I love we shave <laughs> they came out fur came out with a shave cream and we were at the launch event the press event and we're talking Somebody about shaving about, yeah they're talking about billies and I was like yeah, I don't know about like, billies no, 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 but no. you should probably check you should probably check out we the people it's a great company <laughs> And it's, I, I love this story because it's, like I said, I, everything about your brand to me says that of course somebody was this thoughtful behind it. But I, I don't know, I guess I didn't know until I heard it makes this so story. Much sense. It knowing, makes so much sense. Like yeah. each person having a role in making the razor, that I love. Yeah. My husband always says I love a good story and I really do because <laughs> it will make me buy a product because it's obviously something that feels close, I don't know, close to me. It's heartwarming. <laughs> Speaking of um, different, I think you said different uh, treatments, di new ways to look at different treatments, I just saw your deep V masks, your bikini masks. Yeah. Genius. So I just saw it today, unfortunately, I haven't bought them yet, I'm going to, but mm -hmm. I imagine that it's like a salicylic acid or some sort of ingrown mm -hmm. hair removing situation, but yep. it's like a, a sheet mask, but you just put it on your, <gasps> on your uh, bikini line. Genius. Genius. Thank you. Yeah, we'll Dude, need those. You we're definitely going to need those. That's awesome. For clients. Did you invent that? No. We, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we found the the manufacturer who was making the, the strips, and I basically was like, how do we think about this and position it like a little bit differently? Totally. And I think, you know, when face masks took off, people were like, like, where else can we put them? Yeah, you know? yes. yeah I've thought about this Listen. before. Like, how... Yeah, I was like, I'm not walking around She's with on your website, mask. don't mind her. Yeah, so I'm looking at, I'm looking at it. <laughs> I was just like, so cool. you know, and, I, and I, I try to think about, like, what people will actually really want to experience. First of all, like, if you have a bad shaving experience, like, the itching and all mm -hmm. that business, the care, no, that's just not it. Mm -hmm. And so I was just like, I'm not the person who's going to walk around the house in a butt mask. Like, <laughs> those people who are making millions off of them. But I really try to be, and I think sometimes to the detriment even of our own growth, I am, I am so uh, in-depth about, each and every single product and making sure it is the absolute best that we can put forth. And if it's 90% when I launch it, I want to make sure that we eventually get to 200%. Yes. And the, the bikini mask, I remember turning to my brand director and I was like, should we go for it? <laughs> like, yeah. She's like, let's figure it out. So we worked on the, the formula and we tweaked it to, to, the, to you know, to such that it like really um, caters more to to that area, and it's incredibly soothing, and it's it's cool to the touch. It's biodegradable, Ooh, awesome. so it's the um, the the biocellulose. So it's basically um, that cellulose fiber that is it's composed of a bunch of um, organisms, basically bacteria, mm -hmm. and it's like incredibly cooling and gentle and relieving and soothing um once you put it on and so it does have salicylic acid and it's got um niacinamide niacinamide mm -hmm. i always like but yeah 
That's awesome. <laughs> like, this is why we're looking for an educator. I know razors. Oh, yes. Well. I saw that. I saw your Instagram post last night. They're yeah, looking for it, us, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, um, um, you guys are hint, hint, like, welcome to life. <laughs> yeah. I almost talk to her tomorrow. <laughs> so we will talk to her tomorrow about this. But it just so happens we just purchased our first GoPro. So, girl. We're getting some making videos over here, so. <laughs> so cool. Yes. That's so cool. Um, so <laughs> we're obviously in the middle of a pandemic, and um, everybody is looking at the way that we've been living the last, you know, 50 years or so, as our global community grows smaller. Uh, does it grow bigger or smaller? I guess the community grows bigger, but it feels smaller. Um, yeah. And you just mentioned that part of your product is made in Germany overseas. So I'm curious how the pandemic is affecting your supply chain, if it is at all. Um, if you, how is it affecting your business? I know it's affecting everybody's in different ways, but specifically because you work with uh, global partners. How, yeah. how are you pivoting, if at all, and how's it affecting yeah. you guys? So I'm very grateful to say, um, and I've certainly had like a weird feeling and, and some guilt around this, but like our business has accelerated. I thought that. Yeah, in part because more people are shopping, you know, online and, you know, searching for solutions. And I think that we were just able to reach more people with the content that we were already putting out. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, very happily, I have been acquiring new you know, five-star customers to the brand. Awesome. And with regards to the supply chain, you know, I think what will be difficult, has already been difficult and will continue to be difficult in the coming months is uh, just access to packaging. Mm -hmm. You know, so many of the bottles and tubes and all of those things are made in China. Mm -hmm. Buyers in the U.S. Um, started running out of things very, very quickly as these much larger brands and I'm sure a bevy of smaller brands started losing access to their suppliers overseas. But with regards to the razors, we were really, really surprised. Germany, uh, our factory, like, you know, sort of set their own social distancing rules and, and figured it out. And there was has been no interruption to their business, which is fantastic. It makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. And that's the true ecosystem for us. Like, we come from packaging. I'll definitely figure a way around it. You know, that's that's part of what we do well. Yes. But I think to to think that like, you know, our factory, which is like these people have literally been working there. They're masters of their crafts mm -hmm. and have been there for 30 something years in the exact same job, producing wow. the same part of, you know, the razor. Right. And, and now for our company, I was just like, oh my God, I, please don't let anything happen to them. They've figured it out. And Germany's been um, getting back to work sort of full time over the last couple of weeks too. And yeah. they're still doing well. They're doing well as far as like individual, if there is like a game of who's winning the pandemic, <laughs> yeah. Germany's probably like number one or two. Their leader's a scientist, right? Or doctor? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that'll yeah. do it. It's a little different. So that's great. That's awesome that you were working. Uh, the country that you did choose to work with is one that's just, they're doing just fine. They're going to come out yeah. on top. If nothing else, you can move to Berlin and just continue going. Girl, well, yeah. you said you might be over New York. And I already love Amsterdam. I love um, Amsterdam. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like, 
Let's just do a hop, skip, and a jump. I'm obsessed with the south of France. We, I took a fragrance course in the south oh, of France. Oh, yes. Sounds amazing. Found some new suppliers over there, and now I'm, like, absolutely obsessed with, like, living there. Oh, yes. I, I forgot. Sorry to cut you off, but you did mention France. We, oui, where did you... What made you decide... Um, I mean, obviously, we, there, it's like a double entendre. It's very cute. Yeah. But uh, is there any French influence or, or anything? How did the name come about? No. So the most basic uh, side of the story was that I was on the train going into work. I looked up and there was like a Dollar Shave Club ad or something like that staring at me. And I was just like, what the fuck? We deserve better shaving too. Yes, totally. <laughs> like, oh, we. Hmm. Yeah, but I think... Really, as the brand sort of rounded out and became more complex and grew a little bit more life, I really just wanted to say yes to women. Visually, the O and the U, the way that they're composed, are very sort of pleasing elements to see together. Oh my god, I love the way your brain works. Same. <laughs> I, I love it. <laughs> Um, yeah, and every language knows we. It's like a French, you know, right. it's, 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 I guess, if we're known for hot dogs, French are definitely known for we. <laughs> so I was just like, let's lean into that. Yes. But I wanted something. Whenever a woman reaches for it, I want her to know that we've said yes to her. Mm-hmm. Yes. Love it. So great. Love everything about everything you've said. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you said you're still living in Brooklyn now, right? Yeah. Is your family mm-hmm. still in Brooklyn? Uh, yeah, they're sort of spread out. Yeah, cool. Brooklyn, Jersey, upstate. Oh, yeah. we're upstate. Not the Catskills, although we are obsessed with it. <laughs> we, have a number, we have a number of friends there. But more like right above the Bronx, I guess. Okay, okay yeah, like yeah. Hudson Valley, yeah. mm-hmm. Westchester. It's so funny. You're from Brooklyn. I'm from Long Island and Queens. And we think of that as upstate. But the people who live there are like, this is an upstate. <laughs> but I agree with you. I'm like, it's upstate. It's north of the Bronx. <laughs> from White Plains. I'm like, dude, you're from upstate. (laughs) Before I forget, can you tell the people where they can support you, um, where to buy your incredible product, anything that you want to tell our listeners? (laughs) Yeah. um, So you can reach us at wethepeople.com and that's O-U-I thepeople.com. We're on Instagram under the the same handle and I absolutely love chatting with everyone it's usually me on Instagram oh, I love that. Um, and I absolutely love answering questions so nice. just reach out all right anything else Alex you are just very smart in like every way that you can be smart in life which is pretty damn cool yes it's very <laughs> like you. using both sides of your brain a hundred percent just you're incredible you've just brightened up our entire week and yes, um, we just keep hearing about businesses closing and everything that's so bad it's just uplifting to hear that a company is doing better if anything yes that's amazing yeah i mean we still have a long way to go with with all of this uh, we can we could chat another time over coffee in 2022 about when next we're allowed to be near. Exactly. Um, But yeah, I'm so happy to see you guys as well. And it looks like you're pulling through. I hope you're pulling through and I can't wait. Yes. (laughs) I will definitely be coming by and sending folks over. Yes, Um, absolutely. Thank you. If you're interested, maybe we can work together too. We will be. Don't, I, I just told you that for three years I've been sending people to your business trying to get everybody on WeShape. Like, we are 100% in. Sorry, like, I just fine. answered for you. You don't want to pay us to wax you. At least go buy this really good razor. Exactly, Damn legit. It. That's what we would say. It'd be like, all right, you don't want to wax. Don't tell anybody I told you, but go get this razor. <laughs>
Karen freaking awesome? What did you all think? I hope that you loved hearing from her as much as we did. Um, I think one of my biggest takeaways from her interview is that teaching your child their family's culture, their roots, is so important for many reasons. But like, look at Karen. These things she observed as a kid stayed with her through adulthood and really helped to shape the woman she became, the entrepreneur she became. She had some really amazing role models, notably her uncles, mm-hmm. who I think need their own episode, <laughs> and her grandma. Everyone just seemed to play a really vital role in who she became as an adult. So when they say it takes a village, I think it really does and can be the best way to immerse your kid in understanding things about life and learning. Yeah. I also just love when a woman can see something a man did and say, I can do that shit and I could do it even better. Totally. Without hesitation. Yeah. And she did it. But like how many people say that and then actually do it? Yeah. The girl has so much courage and charisma clearly and when we said at the end we love the way her brain works it's just it's incredible like we could see her telling this story and you could see that she has so much passion and it just comes spilling forward obviously in her words but she's just so incredible and she took everything that she learned along the way from each job yes each job her life experience her childhood totally it's so strange but it like all came together into this product but also I guess like everything she's done in life Totally. Because she had had a really successful career. Yes, had several successful careers. Yeah, what do I mean? Career. (laughs) Careers. My favorite part of this episode was, and you and I spoke about this, when she was interviewing for this job and they said, do you know how to do this? And she said, I can learn. Yeah. It's such a brilliant answer because I think I said this when we were interviewing her, but any other answer besides that is like stifling almost. Mm -hmm. Either yes, I can do that or no, I can't do that, but I can learn. It says, like, the interview can end there because totally. that's life, especially the world that we're living in today. For sure. She's just constantly learning new skills. She's done a lot in her life. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. And dudes, go get yourself this razor. I know that not everybody has a ton of disposable income right now, and I don't want to yes. seem, like, uh, uncaring or anything. Totally understand that. But the amount of money that I've saved from buying this one time several years ago and guys it still is gorgeous it hasn't rusted like it's still just as beautiful I've seen it. you showed it to me I actually just ordered mine yes. they're on back order that's yeah. how much people love them dudes yeah i can't wait to get mine first i told myself i'm like i'm not gonna shave until i get it and then i was like oh shit actually i'm not <laughs> yeah. sure when in june it's shipping let me shave yes but i'm so excited to just have a shave that is close with no ingrowns, with no ir- irritation. Mm-hmm. Actually gets every hair. I'm mm-hmm. so stoked. And like you're really, little things. <laughs> dude, you're really going to actually enjoy it. Like you're going to hold this thing in your hand and just oh, feel like. I can't wait. It's like yeah. I love how everything in my shower looks. Like I have yeah. great products. Except my razor is just like this ugly piece of shit. Mm-hmm. So this is like what I needed, you know? Yes, to complete the collection. Yeah. You have to take a picture and show all of us. Oh, I can't wait. My shower is not beautiful. Well, I was so. going to say I'll avoid the where like the black mold is growing. Right. <laughs> when I take the photo. (laughs) But I feel like I have a good group of products, you know, but that's the missing link. Yeah. So normally I would never recommend people to shave, honestly, like if we're speaking openly, Alex and I are intimate wax specialists, but lots of girls will come to me for other services and they'll say like, I'm sorry, just don't wax. I'm not interested. And that's totally fine. I will always recommend this product because there's nothing else like it on the market. And like the woman made it for you. The least you could do is try it out. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly. I feel like it's a great gift. for. I was already thinking, I'm like, oh, I'll buy that for my sister for like a holiday or her birthday. Yes, totally. That's a really nice, or, me, or like a bachelorette party or like. Oh my God. Yeah, yes. right? Just like a, you a lady now. 
Yeah. Be a lady. Yeah. Here you go. You need this. Yes, totally. All right, guys. So I hope you all had the same takeaways and that you enjoyed it. You can go to wethepeople.com mm -hmm. and take a look at their product offerings, notably the razor. Yes. Highly recommend. Oh my God, if we didn't even talk about those bikini masks, but we're gonna have to try yeah. them and we'll get back to you guys. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And as always, please join the Patreon if you'd like. You can find us at patreon.com slash truebeautybrooklynpodcast. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.